Today's show brought to you by In The Money Plus. If you want all the best Breeders' Cup information that we've got to offer, sign up for our Plus service. There's going to be so much cool stuff coming down the line. Extra podcasts, extra articles, statistical information, and much, much more. InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. Welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show that we are recording on Friday, October 21st for the races of Saturday, October 22nd. Great stuff happening all around the country, and we've got it all covered. We've also kicked off our Breeders' Cup coverage. We're going to have a lot of stuff exclusive or at least exclusive first over on the website, I should say, over on our YouTube channel. That is uh, In The Money Media. If you go there, you rate, review, subscribe, do all those fun things, you'll keep up to date. We've got our Monster Pod series underway already. We've got chats up with Randy Moss on the Classic and Scott Hazelton about the Breeders' Cup Mile. Going to be adding to that on a nearly daily basis. Should be a lot of fun. Make sure to check us out there. And then when it's all said and done, we will, of course, have the Monster Pod in the audio feed once again. We're going to be doing daily stuff from the Breeders' Cup for the first time, too. That's going to be a lot of fun. If you're looking for Breeders' Cup info, keep it here in the moneypodcast.com, etc. We're going to kick off today's show covering Saturday's racing right after this. The Keeneland Fall Meet is off and running, and new customers to KeenelandSelect.com can get all kinds of bonuses. There's a special $100 back after you wager $200 this October, and then if you wager $300 in the first 30 days, you get another $100. Sign up at KeenelandSelect.com. Keeneland Select, mobile betting that gives back. Very happy to be joined by a man whose work I admire, and I'm sure you admire it too if you've got any taste at all. You know him from uh, the work he does over at TVG, and you've been watching him on the Keeneland simulcast feed this meet. He's also a frequent guest on these airwaves ahead of big events. He is Scott Hazelton. Scott, how are things? Things are going good, my friend. How are you? Life is good. Very excited to see if we can end this Keeneland meet. It's been the up or down meet. There's been some crazy results. Nearly had a pick five carryover in uh, the races that took place on Thursday, we're now talking about the Saturday card, and, I, and I'm, I'm feeling good about getting back on the good foot here and uh, giving the people some winners. How, how's, how have you been uh, hanging in there through the long meet? Uh, things things have been good. It's it definitely has been a challenge. I mean, it's it's one of the, these kinds of meets where, I mean, you, you've had to have some open opinion, open mind uh, looks at these races, in my opinion. I mean, it's it's just been, you know, it's it's the fall. I think these meets are different from a spring to fall when it comes to Keeneland, you know, different types of horses, different stages of the season. Um, so uh, it's just, it's one of those things that we're always learning, right? I mean, it, you're never, you never have it figured out. It's the, the ultimate thinking man's game. No doubt about it. You got to be continuously learning and improving or you're falling behind when it comes to playing the races. Maybe we'll, when the meet is over, maybe we'll do some looking back um, and, and try to see if there's any any particular trends we can identify one thing i'll say is it's been a good meet for people who aren't afraid to throw up the old all ball when it comes to bets like the late pick five and i'm not really one of those typically so it's been a little rough on the bankroll yeah i mean we saw that like you said on thursday with those crazy results and it's just you know there there have been some horses that, that pop up and you wonder how how do you how do you get to them and it seems like you do have to to use all of them to get to that point but uh uh, we'll see in these final weekends. I mean, this, this Saturday card coming up at Keeneland with the two stakes races and, and even Sunday, I know we're looking at Saturday, but Sunday, the Dowager um, is such a competitive race. I mean, that, 
that looks like an all type of race uh, looking ahead to Sunday. But, uh, you know, the Perryville on Saturday with horses like Knight uh, competing and, and B-Doc for, for Doug O'Neill and Pinehurst. I mean, and Arturius. I mean, these are races where you have to have some coverage, it seems like, in order to, to comfortably gamble on these, these kinds of sequences. Well, let's start right there with the Perryville. It goes as race number six, 340 Eastern, the time for this one. We're going seven furlongs on the dirt. Interesting to see a Gunite in here, a horse I've been talking about as a contender for the Breeders' Cup sprint had, had he chosen to go there. And he may still well, Steve Asmussen, not closing the door that he could run him back quickly, depending on what he sees on Saturday. When it comes to this late pick five at Keeneland, how are we going to light this candle, Scott? Well, I, you've got to use Gunite. I mean, he's comes off of a win over Churchill. Um, he's He was second behind Jack Christopher, who's the best three-year-old sprinter in the country and, and certainly one of the, going to be one of the favorites for the Breeders' Cup sprint. So uh, I think that you've got to include him in this race. Also, the number three horse, Arturius, on the cutback and distance for Chad Brown. You know, he just he wasn't ready for the big time, I guess, in the in the grade one Travers off of that, that run in the Curlin. So them cutting back, I think, has to be viewed as a positive with, with Flo getting the opportunity uh, to run here today or ride here today. Uh, and then B-Doc. I mean, I think B-Doc with his course form here and also another one that cuts back in distance has to be respected. So, you know, those are the three that I would start with. I, I don't know what to do with Pinehurst. I, 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 he's just been a very inconsistent horse as of late following uh, what we saw from him earlier in the year in, in races like the, the Saudi Derby. But I think those three are absolute musts that you have to use. And at this stage, it's really tough to leave Pletcher out of any <laughs> sequence or any race that he's got a horse. I mean, he's just absolutely crushing right now and provocateur, you know, I'm not sure what happened in the gallant Bob, but the fact that they bring him back in a month's time has to be viewed as a positive. He would, he wouldn't be here if he wasn't going in the right direction for, for Todd Pletcher, the number two in the Perryville. Absolutely on fire, the Pletcher barn. And it's been with all different types of runners, plenty with the two-year-olds, but it goes, the hot streak goes well beyond that. Interesting to see if he can keep that rocking and rolling as we come up to the Breeders' Cup now in just a couple weeks' time. For me, I'm going to play this. I agree with you that, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of different ways you can see this. But for me, I'm going to get pretty locked into Gunite in this spot. This is a horse for me, just a bit of a figure and form standout. I really like the way that a horse with this much speed naturally can finish the races. He excels at seven furlongs, and I love this draw for him as well, adding to the appeal. I may pay, play a backup line with Artorias. I know the barn loves this horse, and I do think the cutback will probably suit him just looking at pace figures, but mostly going to be eight and a little bit the three for me. Scott going to spread around mostly with the eight, three, and six, but maybe including a little bit of twos and fours as well. Let's move on to race number seven. We've got an allowance race going on the grass, five and a half furlongs, Phillies and mares, three and up. I saw this one, Scott, as kind of a match on paper between the three Storm Kiss and the two Empress Tiger. And I'm going to go as my top pick with three number three Storm Kiss. And I think it's mostly down to price. I just think that Storm Kiss is going to be a better price and should be dead fit coming out of that Kentucky Downs run. The sharp five and a half, that, that's new territory for her. And it's interesting to think about a Wesley Ward sprinter that the shorter distance is the uncharted territory but i think she's simply too sharp to ignore i'll use plenty of empress tiger tigress as well who could have a pace advantage in this spot but the more i looked at this race i'm going to try to get down to those two am i oversimplifying things in race number seven 
No, I mean it's it's a turf sprint and it's Wesley Ward. So I mean that's this is his this is his home field, right? I mean this is what he gears up his horses for they for the spring or the fall. So uh, yeah, you got to respect that, Philly. I I do like Empress Tiger. Um, I think that she might be a better price than Storm Kiss because Wesley gets bet. So right. um, I I think that that's a possibility. And, and Johnny Velasquez, you know, the fact that he goes in that direction, he he rides so many of these Wesley Ward. Runners, I think that that's something you got to consider as well. And and touch a class the nine. I, I wouldn't be shocked if this filly's able to put together a strong effort. James Graham, he's been at the uh, the the at the wheel for these upsets um, this last week here at Keeneland. So respect him. He rides a lot of the Bernie Flint runners. Bernie not running as many horses as certainly he did earlier uh, in his career. But I, I I like the the nine in this spot. And I also think that uh, the 12 might be worth a look as well. That runner-up finish behind Spicy Marg um, at Saratoga was solid. And I think that uh, this filly could be coming on late with Joel coming back in town and riding. So those would be the three that I would look at, um, 2, 9, and 12. And obviously Storm Kiss as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's another one of these races where, you know, you're either going, you're either singling or you're going to just try to spread out because they're so, they're so competitive. Uh, they've done such a great job in getting these fields together. And obviously the purse money is going to lure these people with these kind of horses out here to Keeneland. No doubt about it. It's been, it's been terrific racing all meet long and I'm looking forward to getting there in person next week. Uh, you know, obviously breeders cup at Keeneland is one thing, but I wanted to get a little Keeneland fall meat flavor as well. So going to make sure to get in, early and it might be a little bit easier to see some friends including yourself before the pure madness of breeders cup week starts let's pivot to race number eight an allowance once again we're a mile and an eighth on the dirt this time around scott we'll keep it with you yeah i went to the inside horse for for phil sims war campaign and this is um you know a class drop situation for him he comes out of two stakes races his second place finish uh, in the St. Louis Derby at the end of August, I thought was solid. And Phil Sims always tends to gear up for these Keeneland meets with a couple of, of, of key horses. And I think that this is, is one of them. So, and he, and he had a win earlier this meet as well. So I really do like war campaign quite a bit in this mile and an eighth race. He's got a good cozy inside draw as well, which I think that uh, he'll be able to, to take advantage of. And if you're looking for some backup horses in here, um, tis ride time for Tom Bamberg. He sent out live horses this meet. Uh, and this is a horse that comes off of a third um, at Churchill Downs at this same distance. And we've seen him run well here at Keeneland in the past. And then obviously here's another situation where you've got a, uh, a heavy hitter and gate runner for Todd Pletcher that uh, Rapoli and St. Elias paid a lot of money for a couple of years back here at Keeneland coming off of a maiden win. It's obviously a big step up. For, for him it just based on the the battle tested nature of these other horses but you got to respect them but i i do like war campaign quite a bit uh in the eighth race for phil sims i have little to add i really think you made the excellent case for war campaign it's as if you're you're reading from my notes this is just a favorite i'm have tr having trouble seeing past uh, on the drop back into the allowance race should get a great trip plenty of speed signed on this horse is well-drawn, has the right running style to take advantage. And I feel like that last race and the big improvement shown, that wasn't an anomaly. That was a late-season three-year-old just showing us how good he is. I think he can hold that form or even improve. And if he does, the rest are running for second. I did think you, you made good cases for some potential backup slash exact the partners. I had his ride time written down as one that I definitely want to have on some tickets in that second spot. We've got graded stakes action in race number nine, these three-year-old fillies in the Raven run going seven furlongs. I put Wicked Halo on top in this spot. 
bidding for the four Pete. And I think she's got a great shot to accomplish it. Just won the grade two priorist going six furlongs, but I think she could be even better going seven. And this is the second race off the layoff and she's trained really well leading up to it. I will not be ignoring the two runner smash ticket, very fast, likely contender, best of speed, presumably, but has to fight off the pace challenges and have enough left to hold off Halo. Hey, it could happen based on how fast the last couple of races is when have been run. Smash ticket will be on plenty of tickets. Eight and two for me in the featured Raven run. How do you see this one, Scott? Yeah, those are the top two for me in this spot as well. I mean, I think that's, you know, Wicked Halo, um, she, she certainly has come on in her last few races and she's got that stamina pedigree to just keep on going, much like her, her stable mate, Goodnight, uh, both the offspring of, of Gunrunner from Winchell Thoroughbreds, part of that first wave of Gunrunners that we saw, you know, lighten things up last year with that two-year-old crop. So, uh, I, but I'm I'm gonna take a sh- I I will include her. There's no doubt on on late pick four, late pick five tickets. But I think that Smash Ticket could keep on going. The way that she drew off and won that race at Pimlico, obviously this is a much different situation than the Lexus Raven run. But um, she's down on the inside. She's got a good draw. I think that she's got a big look in here. And then um, if you're looking for another you know opportunity or at least uh, one to consider. Uh, Finnegal's K for David Donk. The fact that they come in here uh, from New York to take their swing here, she must be doing well up in New York coming off this two month uh, turnaround from that race at Saratoga and the cutback, I think will be a plus for her. But um, as far as the on top horse, I got smash ticket. I got two, eight, five. Those would be my top three uh, for the Lexus Raven run. Another <laughs> wickedly competitive race uh, on the Saturday cool. card. Yeah, and Fingal's Cave trying to go one better than uh, than Wicked Halo, going for the five-peat undefeated in yeah. four career runs. We'll see how she she classes up, and we'll, we'll see if she's quite fast enough, but she's certainly in good hands to make an impact, and I, I see where you're going with that pick. Let's move on to our nightcap, the pay leg of all these late picks. We've got a maiden special weight for three and up, going a mile and an eighth on the turf. Scott, how are we going to get paid in this late pick five? Well, if there, I think in this sequence, if there's one particular one single horse that I would consider singling, and I, I, I'm, I'm never in that mindset of, of doing that really, in, in especially Keeneland. I think Push Button's got the biggest look um, in this nightcap. This is a gelding that is sent out by Mike Maker. We know Maker's track record with turf horses, Kentucky, and um, this gelding ran a solid race on debut at Kentucky Downs. Not an easy place to be uh, unveiled, but he finished fifth that day. They add blinkers hopefully getting a little bit more finish from him, I think, uh, here this afternoon. So um, push button would be the one to look at if you're looking to, to, to cut down on the budget. But, you know, a few others to, to take a look at. I think Tom Drury's runner to the outside, Pancake House, um, has to be respected. He should be, a, I think, a fairly solid price come post time uh, in the end. And then uh, even if you're looking to be a little bit more outside the box as well, Mount Kisco, the number four horse for Jessica Howell, a uh, operation I'm not quite familiar with this is a well-bred colt he's by arrogate uh bred by judmont farm and his two turf races were solid sprinting and he gets to stretch out to a route of ground so that could be a horse that's dangerous given the type of uh stamina pedigree that he's got in play but i i think that uh, the seven will be the pretty clear favorite in here push button and uh will be tough in the nightcap I'm with you. This just looks like a horse push button who's supposed to improve off that solid debut run at Kentucky Downs. It's not an easy post at that distance there. Form of that race working out decently. The maker trainees typically improve their figure second out. And you see 
blinkers. You see Saez. I'm thinking we're going to see more speed at a push button today. That was the one that I wanted to try to get out in the nightcap. I definitely will take another look at both the four and the 12, who you mentioned as potential backups. But most of my play is going to run through push button. Scott, we will see you on the TV. We appreciate you taking time out of a busy day. And we'll also see you in a video on our YouTube channel talking about the Breeders' Cup Mile. Really appreciate all your help and support and look forward to seeing you in person next week. Looking forward to it, Peter. New York Bread Showcase Day is fast approaching as the Sunday, October 30th slate features eight stakes for New York Breads, totaling over $1.6 million in purses. We're going to have a special show on the network covering it. The New York Thoroughbred Breeders is an organization dedicated to the advancement of this New York Bread program across the breeding and racing industries. For more information and to learn how to join, go to www.nytbreeders.org slash membership. Next up on the show, we turn our attention to New York. Belmont at the Big A, and we bring in a guest I always love to have on these airwaves, except when we get to chatting and then I make her miss her next phone call. But I, I think we're going to be okay to get this one in uh, under the gun. I'm speaking about Jessica Paquette. Jessica, how are things? Everything's great, PTF. How are you? Doing very well. Crazy. Uh, really looking forward to a big weekend of European Breeders' Cup prep. It feels like we have enough information about who's coming over that it's time to get into the serious tape work and having all manner of international uh, chats and, and phone calls so we can get our, our info really, really strong as we get ready for the run-up for the Breeders' Cup. And very excited to hear that you're going to be uh, out at Breeders' Cup um, we're going to be doing something together on Friday night as part of the TRF party. We talk about that elsewhere in the show. But uh, what are your other responsibilities? What are you What are you heading down there to do? Or, or do you actually, dare I say, just get to be a fan for once? I can never just be a fan. Absolutely not. No, I am helping out with Conover Tuttle Pace in the Breeders' Cup with some production stuff behind the scenes. So I'll mostly be in a production trailer, but come say hello if you see me. Definitely will. Hopefully that won't prevent you from getting to enjoy some of the racing anyway. I always have a way to enjoy myself at a racetrack. <laughs> Good stuff. Let's talk about this Belmont at the Big A pick six on this Saturday card. Good looking card, actually. Uh, Good looking Saturday of racing, really. I'll be on um, Sky covering Belmont and Keeneland, which will be a lot of fun. This pick six that we're going to talk about kicks off in race number five. We've got two-year-old maiden fillies going a mile on the 16th on the turf. How do you see this one, my friend? Well, this is an interesting start to the sequence. And number eight, Sunday, a familiar face from Colonial Downs for Graham Motion. Daughter of English Channel out of a nice kitten's joy mare. Spooky kitten, a strong female family. This horse is a half of some really nice horses. Two runner-up efforts. I'm starting the sequence with a single. I really liked this horse's debut at Colonial. To me, this was a horse that looked like she just needed a few things. She needed to get a little bit older, to develop a little bit, and to get more distance. Stretched out to two turns last time out for the first time. It was a good effort from her, and I think she'll just move forward off of that. You and I are seeing this one exactly the same way. I really like Sunbee in this spot. I hope the 9-2 to two of the morning line is anything like accurate because she just makes all the sense in the world for all the reasons you said. One note I have, and it's been dry-ish here this week. Boy, would I love this pedigree with cut in the ground. I think we saw some of that in the improvement the last day, but I don't think it was only because of that. I think she's just one that makes sense to just keep getting better with her racing. But uh, when you see English Channel on top and Kittens Joy on the bottom, uh, any any cut in the ground would be to the advantage. And this is the kind of horse I just make a, a, a horse note about um, how much I would move this one up under such circumstances. So as, I disagree uh, on that off of how she, what she looks like. Oh, tell me why. 
She's a really petite, uh, really, really petite, small body. Looks like a young English channel, right? Like maybe she'll get, she'll like that a little bit more as she gets older and grows a little bit. But the English channels are not, you know, big, strapping, impressive horses as they're youngsters. I think, uh, I think she's a little catty filly right now and probably a tighter surface might play to her physical strengths. That that's super interesting. I mean, because the pedigree stuff has its limits when you have somebody who's been there in the paddock and knows what they look like that that takes it to a whole other level. I feel like statistically, though, the English channels, even when they're young, have done pretty well when it comes to when it comes to cutting the ground. But I would always go with information that's, you know, I think the English channel doing well on wet is kind of baked into the price a lot sure. of times, sure. whereas knowing something about the individual is a way to maybe, you know, get get stuff no one else has, which is what you get when you get somebody like Jessica in the in the paddock. So in, anyway, it's not, it shouldn't be a factor on Saturday anyway, because I think she's going to get that exact type of surface that, uh, that Jess was describing. Let's move on to more two-year-olds. In race number six, we've got the two-year-old Maiden Colts going seven furlongs here uh, at this aqueduct, Belmont at the Big A Oval. And I was not terribly creative in this race. I think we like the same horse. I'm going to let you make the case here from the conversation we had uh, off air for for race number six. I'm going to make you go again, even though it's my turn. Not really reinventing the wheel here. I think Rudder's Men uh, really a standout here on paper. Uh, Dam's a half-sister to Yaupon. Very sharp work tab. You have to think this is a run-early kind of course. My A selection, I'm also going to use number nine, Fast Boat to Sky, as a B selection here. The Dam's a half to Kentucky Oaks winner. Believe you can. Everybody in the horse racing universe roots for David Donk. Not an impressive work tab, but I do like that she has, that this Colt has a steady one, at least. I think there's probably a good foundation in him. And yeah, I also give a little nod to the 10 Classic Legacy as a B selection. Mott, second-time starter. I mean, makes sense. I will mention one that you didn't mention. I mean, I do. I see Rudder's Man definitely the, the, the top selection for me for the reasons you outlined. I think Skellig is worth a look at coming out of that last run, going a mile, going too fast, going a mile, now cutting back to the seven furlongs. I think we might see Skellig to a little bit better effect in this race. Six and five for me in race number six. Let's move on to race number seven. We've got graded stakes action in the Hill Prince, restricted to three-year-olds. We're going a mile and an eighth, and we've attracted a nice field of 10. I really like this spot for number one, Celestial City, who was a winner and an allowance race back on September 24th. But I just think it's going to sit the absolutely perfect trip, similar to the last day, not too far off it. And this is a horse that I think has a lot of finish for one who's going to be in touch, maybe in the second flight. Um, Good draw as well for this mile and an eighth distance that I think uh, is going to suit Celestial City very well. The one runner for me in race number seven. How do you see it, Jessica? For me, the road to the winner's circle here goes through Virginia. I like number 10, limited liability. I thought he had a really nightmare trip in the Virginia Derby. Still ran a pretty solid race, and it's been knocking heads against some really good fields. I think he only gets better as he gets older. Female family on this horse is absolutely ridiculous. Third dam is Megan's Joy, who needs no introduction. Of course, she produced Ironicus on leave, et cetera, et cetera. I'm also going to try to be a little clever here and use number six, be better, trying turf for the first time for Todd Fletcher. Super uh, turf influence, both sides of the f- of the family here. Social call and a smart strike mare. Hasn't shown all that much on the main track. I mean, just an allowance winner. But I think the switch to the turf is pretty interesting. Let's move on to race number eight. We've got two-year-old New York maiden claiming 40s. We're going seven furlongs on the dirt. Jessica, we'll keep it with you. Okay, so this is one of those races where I feel like you have an opportunity to separate yourself if you're playing the horizontals here. This is a race 
super wide open, right? You can go a lot of different ways. And I think a lot of people are going to really spread here. For me, I'm going to try to keep my ticket a little bit narrow. I, I understand that it's easy to get seduced and want to go a bunch of horses deep just to live through this leg as it is a pretty wide open group. But I, there are quite a few horses I have a really hard time making a legitimate case for. So I don't feel the need to put them on my ticket just to try to protect myself. So I'm going with just two horses here. The four Saratoga Banker didn't embarrass himself in his debut, didn't have the best trip. The jockey change to Javier Castellano, I think, is interesting. I wonder if sometimes these younger, greener horses need a stronger and more experienced rider. Maddie Rowland's doing a great job as an apprentice, but you know, Castellano has been doing this an awfully long time. I do also like Destin Hoofman, who looked awfully green in his debut, but tinted at some ability. I have to laugh every time I hear the name. It's just, it's, it's just a good too, one. Yeah, it's it's too it's too too amusing for me. So you're 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 going four one here in race number eight. Did I get yeah. that right? Yeah. I was interested in the ten fast study in this spot as a horse who just had that look to me of one that was maybe figuring things out halfway through the run on debut, especially after a very tardy and weird beginning. Now you can argue the pace was fast and it's not impossible that fast study was just flattered by the way that race was run. But I think this uh, Jamie Ryerson trainee is going to show more speed. And I think just might have a little bit more of a clue of what this racing thing is all about this time around. I was interested in uh, Dustin Hoofman too, in, in terms of a potential one to back up with, but, but I agree this might be a good spot rather than I definitely get it. If somebody wanted to use six runners in here, if you were looking at morning lines and to taking a quick look through the form, you might go six deep and still not hit it. But from a wagering equity point of view, trying to get as narrow as possible might be the way forward. I'll take another look at your Saratoga banker as well. But in the main, I'm going to go 10 and one in race number eight. Let's move to race number nine, where we've got an allowance race going one mile on the Belmont at the big A turf. I think we this race will stick on the surface from the weather reports I'm seeing, which means we'll have a field of eight going postward. Jessica, who do you like in here? Number one, Tulane defeated a similar field last time out and just has been so consistent. This is a horse who rarely runs a bad race, has a good turn of foot. For me, the question mark is how the pace unfolds here. If number eight, Java Bus, gets everything his own way on the front end, I think he's awfully tough to reel in. This horse is sharp and fast out of the gate, uh, but he might have a little bit of company, and I think Tulane will be able to capitalize on that. Tulane's a horse we've... Uh given out successfully on these airwaves before. And I had the at the top of my reckoning of this race as well. Did you have any others you wanted to talk about? Or are you, you pretty much uh, committed to Tulane in this spot? Tulane, I'm going to throw Java bus on my ticket as well, but pr- keeping it pretty conservative. One and eight for Jessica. I'll throw in a quick mention of uh, the, the forerunner in this spot as one that I wanted to back up with dancing with the stars, uh, just coming back into good form with that good run over the, the circuit, the circuit here last time has that form to celestial city. And I thought was worthy of, uh, of inclusion as well, probably at the lower end of the odd spectrum. But, but when I just thought made sense to, to, to back up with based on the late pace and the good recent form, we'll move on to our nightcap. Our 10th race is a New York bread allowance. We're going six furlongs on the turf. And we've got an entry to contend with in here and a morning line favorite in number nine, not far now, listed at five to two. Are you with or against the favorites in this spot? 
I think not. Farnow looks awfully tough here. You have to think they're all going to be trying to catch him right out of the gate. This is a barn that is very dangerous first off the claim. Also seeing the Orlando Nota barn have a pretty sharp meet so far. The numbers are there. Again, big front running threat. If I am trying to beat him, I'm going with number eight, Yarrow, who consistency does count for something. He just shows up every time. I like that he's a little tactical and a little versatile, and I think he'll be able to sit just off of the pace and get a pretty good stalking trip. I was going to mess around with the entry in this spot, the Linda Rice entry. I thought, you know, each half has claims. Ghost Giant coming first off the claim from, from the Atris Barn. Linda Rice seems like one of the ones who doesn't matter how successful the previous trainer is, can continue to uh, to keep horses going in, in the right direction. And then uh, Click Attat as well um, was not too impressive the last day, but, you know, com- comes along with the entry. I wanted to mess around with them. I saw the pace angle on not far now as well. And I was going to mess around one and nine. I'll take another look at your eight runner as well. And hopefully we'll have a bunch of winners when it's all said and done, Jessica. Really looking That's forward. the idea. You know, we got this big weekend here, also at Keeneland, and uh, some good stuff up at Woodbine. Excellent weekend of racing. Where will most of your attention uh, be focused in terms of the racing this weekend? Or, or are you in full-on Breeders' Cup prep mode? So I do a terrible thing uh, leading up to the Breeders' Cup, and this is the downside of having so much information and so much excitement around a big race, is you start forming all of your opinions a couple of weeks out, and then you like talk yourself out of them or talk yourself into different things. (laughs) So like editing my opinions is really the biggest priority at this point, but it's so easy to just take in so much information. And we have so much more now with like social media and the internet, how it is. Uh, it's both a blessing and a curse as a handicapper, but I'll be enjoying a beautiful fall weekend of racing at a concert. I'm looking forward to on Saturday night. Just big weekend. Who are you going to see? I'm going to a concert too on Saturday night. I'm going to see Dan Leyes, who is the lead singer of Augustana, probably one of my all time favorite artists. That's so awesome. Fantastic. We're who going are you to seeing? see uh, Brandy Carlisle at MSG, who cool. I've actually never seen. So I'm, I'm pumped. Uh, pumped for that so it should be we are going to be in totally different venues i'm going to be in like a sticky club with like (laughs) 200 people max i think i mean honestly we know we all know that's the better uh, venue to see music in but it's also sometimes fun i haven't been to it i mean i can't even tell you the last time i was at an arena show so it's it's uh i'll have to put the put the thinking cap on for that one but i'm I'm pumped it should be you do have a hat for every occasion (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And the good news, the other really good news is now, granted, there's, you know, there's good stuff in, in California that we'll be yapping about elsewhere on the show. But I, most of the, the East Coast stuff, we're wrapped by 530. We can have dinner and still make it to the concert. No problem. You can't really do that so much in Saratoga. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be hanging out at the Breeders' Cup. We'll be pulling you in for some more stuff related to that. Obviously, we want to get all of your thoughts, but really appreciate your time today. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. Good luck, everyone. We are in the championship stretch of the Woodbine Standard Bread season, and Woodbine Mohawk is proud to host the 2022 edition of the Breeders' Crown, presented by Libfeld and Katz. There are four intense nights of racing ahead, featuring two nights of eliminations on October 21st and 22nd, leading into the two nights of the championship finals on the 28th and 29th on Friday, October 28th. The wagering menu is excellent. Lots of good stuff happening. $100,000 guaranteed. Early pick five. Lots of exciting opportunities throughout the card. We're going to be covering it 
very extensively through first over with Edison Hatter. Edison will also be on the late week show next week giving some thoughts. It's going to be a special live stream as well. Stay tuned to these airwaves and in inthemoneypodcast.com to get all your Breeders' Crown information. Next up on the show, we turn to the man we turn to when it comes to all things Woodbine. We're going to be excited to hopefully get him as part of our Breeders' Cup coverage as well. I haven't talked to him about that, and we won't do that production meeting in the middle of the show. We'll do that one later. But always enjoy having on these airwaves the business manager from In The Money Media. He is Drew Coatney. Drew, how are things? I'm doing good. We had four days of straight snow up here, and now it's uh, it's going to be 70 this weekend. Um, <laughs> wife and I are heading up uh, on a little vacation hiatus, kidless, um, up to Old Mission Peninsula. Have you heard of this? In no, Michigan? I don't know what that is. What is that? It's it's uh, it's part of a bay in Traverse City that is, I don't know, maybe a 10-mile, 15-mile long peninsula that has wineries because of the way the bay set up is insulated like you do see out in California. Yep. Nowhere near the quality of California wines, but still the scenery and the wineries and the restaurants are great. Um, so we're, we're really excited. We're going to hit the road here soon and uh, have a great weekend with that. So how, how are you? Any good plans this weekend? Things are good. Yeah, it's Susan's birthday, so we've got some fun oh, stuff planned for that. We're going to be doing some fun stuff on uh, some TV work tomorrow for At The Races. Really doing just a ton. I'm like knee-deep in Breeders' Cup spreadsheets, starting to get really looking intensely at these uh, foreign invaders. But you, you talk about Traverse City. All I can think of is Traverse City. That's Saratoga. I don't know about this Michigan stuff. I know, right? And and I just bought a Traverse the other day too. So try and get all of this right in your head while you're looking at PPs. It's a, it's a tough one. <laughs> it's a lot. Let's talk about this pick four at Woodbine on Saturday. We're getting, we're starting to get to the, you know, the officially the later part of the Woodbine season, but we had a lot of fun last year following Woodbine all the way to the bitter end. Hopefully we don't get the snowed out up there. We also have, and I'll have read an ad for this probably right before this segment, but big stuff going on up there in terms of the breeders crown, and our partnership with Mohawk expanding. Mm -hmm. We're going to have Edison Hatter on next week to talk about uh, those important harness races for our flat audience, but still loads of good stuff happening north of the border. We're going to start off talking about race number seven on Saturday. 4.32 is the scheduled post time for this allowance race for fillies and mares going six and a half on the synthetic. How are we going to light this candle, my friend? Yeah, I saw this one as a lot of best out last figure types like ran the best race last out and now kind of what's going to happen and i'm going to go with a couple different horses the top choice is going to be the number five uh quinta road at 10 to 1 i like the pattern we're seeing with this runner last out slow fractions and closed well two back was well outmatched and had a horrendous bobble out of the gate then a bad step this is why replays are important, by the way. Let me step up, stop on that horrendous bobble. It wasn't just a bobble. It was a bad step. The horse got rank for about six or seven jumps out of the gate. That's why replay watching is important. All right, uh, going back to the PPs here. Three back tries to route, and that didn't go well, and four back off a long layoff. So today gets a pace to run into, and I think that last sharp work, this horse may surprise the tote board today. So 10 to 1 feels right. I wouldn't be surprised if we get 8 or 6 to 1 on the day, but that still feels like good value. Uh, also, the number 4, Regal Realm, at 3 to 1. Neutral notes on this runner in the last couple uh, races I have on this one. And I, we'll need to get clear early. I think only can win on the lead. And we'll see if this one hit can handle the all-weather, trying it for the first time. And then lastly is a backup, the long shot, number 11, Richie's Noble Girl, at five, 15 to 1. Has earned some nice figures on the all-weather, though, in the sprint. 
and gets Hernandez aboard. Maybe there's some signal in that with one of the leading jockeys jumping on. And we'll want to try and stalk him from the back of the pack. And that outside draw doesn't have me too worried because gets to spot the field. Hernandez is a great rider and knows what's going on. And heck, at 15 to 1, this one may be able to get up there. So three horses for me, the 5, the 4, and the back of the 11. How are you seeing this tough one? It's open, and you can tell it's open because you're mentioning three, and I'm mentioning three, and only only one is the same, and it's it's a favorite that I see as as more of a backup. I'll start there though. I'll start with the backup, which is the four Regal Realm. I felt like that last trip was a little bit better than it looked at Monmouth attacking that hot pace, making it to the lead, and just getting taken down uh, taken down late. And then I just like this pedigree for Synth. Now I didn't do the deep dive into the pedigree, but just. Animal Kingdom on top, and Empire Maker Dam, and then the Timeform algorithm has this one doing the best in synthetic sprinting. So I did want to back up there. I made Fantarsi my top pick, the 10 runner. I thought it was very interesting off the long layoff. When you build in figure improvement for age since the last time we've seen her, she could be as fast if not faster than any of these. The new old trainer, uh, Kevin Attard, very good off the bench, and I thought this was another one where that last work signaled readiness i wanted van tarsi on tickets and then i was going to use the seven super pecan as well this horse looks set to get an absolutely perfect trip looking at uh, pace figures competitive at the level and just fits on figures and form as well so you put that all in the hopper and i definitely don't want to sleep on super pecan so 10 and 7 on the a line for me and the four on the b line and what i think we both agree is an open race i think you might be able to get skinnier in the next couple of legs starting with race number eight where we've got our graded stakes for the day, the grade three Ontario matron, three and up fillies and mares going a mile and a 16th on the synthetic. And I was okay um, dialing down into the number two, our flash drive in here. Understandably found the waters a little too deep in the grade two at Saratoga, entirely forgivable, loves it around Woodbine. Another horse that I think just projects to be in a fabulous spot in behind the leaders with enough finish to hold off the deep closers. The right blend of speed and stamina for me. Are you going to go with the obvious hunch play in here? The number nine runner dreaming of Drew who will surely be at the top of the market. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is a perfect exact race. I love the number two, our flash drive as my top pick for the reasons you said. Also giving me a little more confidence. Cassie has an operation in Woodbine and he felt, this horse on multiple occasions should ship out to the Naira circuit one on the latest trip and then finished in that Boston spa uh, respectively we'll, we'll call it. And then the the next one is the number nine dreaming of drew I'm going to use. And and I think you have to ask yourself, is this, is dreaming of drew going to have the pace advantage to pull a fast one over on our flash drive and get away and needs to break. Well, I think that's a great exact move to say the nine of the two look to be heads above the rest of the field and try and figure out in your head who's going to get the better pace advantage in the trip. I think the number two R flash drive is just going to save all that ground, even if the Dreaming of Drew gets gets a, a jump on him and uh, will stay close. So I'm going to go with the cold exact at 2-9, both A's on my ticket here. I like it. I think pace-wise that the four, Ms. Van Cougar with the with the, uh, Slade Jones up is going to send. And I think that's going to put enough pressure on Dreaming of Drew to hopefully allow our flash drive to sit just off and get that perfect kind of stalk and pounce trip. I think that's how it's going to play out. I suppose you could argue our flash drive could make a bid for the lead, but just seems like a runner who's better stalking. So that's how I see it. I like your exact in there. I do think Dreaming of Drew 
um, just on figures and form, likely to be in the mix. But I'm going to play it much more just through the lens of uh, our flash drive having an advantage. Let's move mm-hmm. on to race number nine. We've got a three and up starter allowance for Phillies and Mares going five furlongs on the inner turf. Drew, we'll keep it with you. This feels like one of those races where if you open your mind, you can go with any horse or have all of the horses. And I'm just trying to stay as logical as I can and get some value when I see that, wow, any horse could probably win this race. I'm going with the number two, my final trick of just best of speed and always shows up the distance hitting the board six out of the last 13 tries. And I don't know, Pete has yet to really miss the board this year out of the five tries on this distance. So send and go and be on our way. And I'll be fading the number three, uh, Sparkle Sammy at five to two. Uh, yeah, it's the best, best back class, but has to outbreak our top choice and then not lose ground because uh, the number two is drawn inside of the number three, Sparkle Sammy. I, this one hasn't shown a great ability to break as it is, so I'm going to cold single on the number two, my final trick. Yeah, I was surprised when you talked about it as an open race because, to me, the two, my final trick, was also the one that stood out. I think this is a good pace play on the sharp inner turf going five. This horse is in cracking form, and I think that she could be alone on the front. Sparkle Sammy's actually in front on the pace projector. They must be keying off that run two back. But there, I mean, she just went way inefficiently too fast going farther, was closing the last day going six furlongs. I have a feeling they're going to hold this one up. And I, if I'm right about that, that could really set the table for my final trick to, to go out there and, and get the job done. So, yeah, you and I are together with my final trick as the as the pick in here. And I didn't list any backups, and it doesn't sound like you did either? No, sir. All right, let's move on to the nightcap. We've got... Maiden claimers, $10,000 level, Phillies and mares, six and a half on the synth. And when I looked at this race, I said to myself, I can't wait to hear who Drew comes up with in this race because you're very good at coming up with these uh, creative long shots and often they fire. And this, my main opinion about this race was it looks like a creative long shots race. When it comes to this last of the rolling doubles, the bet that we prefer at Woodbine, when it comes to this late pick four, how are we going to get paid? I know. And, and as Gil Alexander of the Beating the Book podcast says, it's all a game of Plinko. And this feels like that type of race here. And I'm, so I have four on top. I'll, I'll speed through them. The number 10, she's loaded. Speed and stops at the higher class last out. And today gets a much easier bunch. And I think that horse will do quite well today and is going to get bet well below 10 to 1 because um, last out was bet to 9 to 1 of the higher group. So 10 to 1 speed ready to go. The number nine Lil's hope at eight to one had a couple wider uh, trips last out and couldn't stay in touch with those true sprinters going the five and a half furlongs. And today I think gets a much more comfortable ride and pace to go with. So number nine, Lil's hope number five, call me Brooke at 12 to one, any horse that can be involved on first asking feels like a step in the right direction. And with this bunch who anything can show up, I'm going to decide with that one. And then the number four, I'm exceptional at 20 to one. I think this is the most interesting of these runners here because was really wide out last time off a long layoff. And then two back had a bad break against a much tougher bunch that has proven pretty useful. So second off the layoff at 20 to one for a horse that, you know, the Plinko chips may fall that way. Not a bad way to go. So I'm 10, nine, five, four for this nightcap. You have two of the ones that I wanted to talk about, starting with that forerunner. I'm exceptional. I like that you have a trip case. My case was simpler, just first time on synth at the bottom level and second time off the layoff. That was enough. Now, maybe 
the 20 to one is a dream with you and I both coming up with this one as a horse of interest, but still one that has to be in the mix. And I think should be at least 10 to one. And then the other one I was going to talk about, if you didn't, was she's loaded, um, only raced once against much better, took some cash that day, just a super logical second time starter in a week race. And again, we hope that the, we hope that the 10 to one is, is correct. And it might be, this one was a vet scratch, um, between uh, back on October 8th, which you don't love, but honestly at this level, um, I don't mind really. It doesn't really, it doesn't come into effect for me too much and it might just mm-hmm. help the price. So that's how we see these last four races at Woodbine. Have you started your breeders cup preparations in earnest? No, I am actually, uh, trying to keep my ears closed for now podcasting content wise to get the PPs, do my homework start watching replays and then we'll start to absorb the podcast while we start to uh, start to drive down to Lexington. We'll be there in person. Um, yes. So it's going to be an ITM get together. Hopefully uh, Bernier will be around. JK, I think is going to be running around. So yes. um, if you see us, come say hi to us. Definitely. No, that's going to be, that's going to be super duper fun having you in the mix. There's so much tape work though. I don't know that I'd wait till you have PPs. I think I'd start looking now if I were you, honestly. Um, you know, I know you got some fun, plans this weekend but if, if you can carve out a couple hours it's a lot of t- even with the early pre-entries for me I'm, that's not enough time i I'm, I'm diving in i'm diving in already and it's not just for the pods it's just for, for gambling purposes as well there's you know never been easier with web- websites you know at the races.com has just a wealth of information on some of these euros there's some good info out there online from the appleby team from the o'brien team about which runners are going to be coming over i, I would mm-hmm. uh I wouldn't sleep too much too much longer on it. Let's put it that way. No, no, no. Absolutely, absolutely. We got to keep those pencils sharp, especially. <laughs> and I, I've let this happen to me before. Word of caution: don't leave it for the night before, because these horses all are so competitive, um, except for the obvious ones like Flightline, Cave Rock, all those good ones. But everywhere else, there's just so many things to be looking at. Don't get yourself overwhelmed. Do the homework early. I feel like a school teacher here, don't I? (laughs) Well, you can just listen to our final answer show and go from there. (laughs) There you go. Boy, we are we are basically sold out. Like they, it's one of those things where they want tailor-made partners to go, which is great. But so I never even got to plug it. The event really. We did have a few ambitious listeners reach out and say, I'm going to be in town and hopefully they'll be joining us, but I'll find out if there's any tickets left, I'll let people know and, and hopefully they can come join us. But it looks like we're going to have a sold out event on Wednesday. One thing that people can join us for, and there is going to be a little bit of a handicapping program live there, the Friday night party that I think you'll be, can you sneak in? I know you have dinner plans, but hopefully you're going to do what a lot of people are going to do and sneak over to the Griffin Gate Marriott to, to, for, for the cocktail TRF party thing. Is that, is that a, a potential plan for you or, or are you locked into other stuff? Yeah, I think we're going to take the shuttle uh, out of Keeneland, get downtown Lexington, and then head over to the Griffin Gate for uh, a drink or two. And then we have a late reservation for dinner for a date oh, night, like 8 now, o'clock or so with the wife and I. So one, we, we just have- one thing I'll point out, Griffin Gate, it's conveniently located, but it's not downtown. So just for people who are – this is good to tell you, and it's good to tell people who are planning on coming. Make sure you you check the map and, and make it work with your, your plans. It might be – Griffin Gate themselves might have a, a shuttle that you can take or it might be more of an uber situation we'll leave that to individuals but if you want to join us for the party we encourage that 
um, Jessica Paquette and I, and who I, I don't know what the rest of the program is going to be, but we are going to do a little bit of uh, handicapping chatter on Friday night. You know, we'll have one day in the books and a big day ahead of us. We'd love to see you there, and it supports a great cause. trfinc.org slash players. That's trfinc.org slash players to find out all about that. Drew, we'll be talking soon. All right, thanks, Pete. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Santa Anita. The Golden Hour Pick 4 is back. You're going to be hearing about that in the next segment, but some other stuff to let you know about as well, including a $600 Santa Anita Challenge on Saturday, October 22nd. You can compete in this live handicapping contest, live bankroll uh, format via ExpressBet or on track, NHC seats and cash in the prize pool. Also, Showvivor is back. We've been talking about it. All meet. We're sponsoring it this year. Very excited. One horse each day to compete for prize money across five different categories. Also, the Santa Anita Pick'em is back. An online contest mixing popular sports props, including horse racing and football, every Saturday and Sunday at Santa Anita. Chance to win 1000 per contest day. You can find out about all of these contest events over at santanita.com slash contests. That URL once again, santanita.com slash contest. Next up on the show, we have a man who's quickly becoming a regular to talk about one of our favorite bets in general, the Golden Hour Pick 4, which makes its return out in California with the return of uh, the Golden Gate meet. And to talk about it with you, we bring in a man who's been doing a fantastic job covering Southern California as part of our plus service. We've got Dean Kepler doing the daily analysis, who does great work. We also have this man. He is Justin Christine. Justin, how are things? Pete, I'm great. Glad to be here talking about this golden hour. One of the best bets we have as horse players. You get involved in it uh, on a regular basis, I presume. What is it you like about the golden hour bets? I do. Well, I like the $1 minimum, and um, I'm sort of along the lines of bet a little to win a lot. And mm-hmm. so I keep my tickets uh, pretty concise. And, uh, you know, for a dollar, for a dollar minimum, uh, it doesn't doesn't take all that much for it to pay well. That's right. It's one of the few bets where I still will sometimes say, "Wow, that paid well." It feels like it's always, yeah, always. Right. How did it only pay that? This one it goes in the in the correct direction for horse players. That's one of the reasons I like it: the low takeout, the high minimums, and uh, the game selection aspect. It doesn't seem like a pool where you see quite as much of that CRW money, at thus leveling the playing field a little bit for the actual human beings among us. Let's talk about the first leg of this bet. Santa Anita race eight, 738 Eastern is the scheduled post time. We've got a field of eight in the starter allowance going six furlongs on the dirt. What numbers should we use to start things off? I'm going to loan A, the number seven in code here. First time in the Tim Yachtin barn. Uh, Baffert dropped him in for 50. I think he got one over on everybody. Uh, th- this horse broke. Uh, he was fractious in the gate, as it, as I note in the in the comment line. But when he broke, he broke on top two lengths. He's quick out of the gate, and he easily disposed of this field. I think he's going to get a perfect trip sitting behind his uh, stable mate, the number five, Seville Road. And I think he's going to sit and pounce, and uh, he's going to be long gone. Now, so I'm going to use him as a lone A. I'm also going to use as B's. I think the number two, Mitico, is really interesting. Uh, he has two races, uh, two back and three back, that absolutely will could could be competitive here. Yep. And that last race, September 9th at Del Mar, he raced inside on a day when the inside was not good. So second off the short layoff, two races that will be competitive here. And 20 to one, I need to use this horse as a B. 
I'm also going to use the one street art as a B for obvious reasons, competitive at an, at a, at a 40 K level, um, figures to get a pretty good trip here. And I'm going to use the three nice guy clay as a B also he dueled from the inside in his last race, not an easy spot, um, swung out and could, couldn't catch the winner who just pressed him from the outside. If he can resort back to that, uh, June 26 race where he broke his maiden at Los Al, uh, where he stalked from third. I think he, if the front two duel and uh, get weary late, I think he's in a good position to run him to run him down and, and pass him uh, on the wire. So I'm going to use the seven as an A, the one, two, and three as Bs. All right, good stuff. Let's head up north to Golden Gate Fields. We've got an allowance race for three-year-olds and up, fillies and mares, five furlongs on the turf. This is their eighth race at Golden Gate. Field of 10 going postward. What numbers will be on your tickets in leg B of the Golden Hour pick four? So this is a really interesting race, I think. I'm going to uh, the number six, Lalek, for my uh, my top play. Definitely uh, going to get, I think, at least six to one on this horse, who's eight to one on the morning line. If you look at the race two back on August 14th, it says hop start. She lost two lengths easily at the start. And then approaching the far turn, she was ridden a little bit passively. You see the comment weighted there in the running line. If if Giroux was aggressive with her, he could have got that inside out Del Mar turf trip, but he was hesitant. And so she got stuck behind horses. She did tip out, but it was too late. Um, I think now first time in the Jonathan Wong barn, I think this horse uh, is going to sit a good trip and, uh, I think is the best finisher in the race. So uh, a horse that's that's going to be tactical, but also can finish. Give me the six as an A. I'm also going to use the four as an A, uh, Althea Gibson. I think it's a, a good sign that Miati is protecting her here. And uh, I think she's she's got definitely races back as a four-year-old that could win this. Um, Miati's strong with turf sprinters. He's strong. Uh, in Northern California, and I think he'll probably have this horse ready to go here. So I'm going to use the four as an A, and then I'm going to use the nine. I think, you know, this is the horse that's six to one morning line, but I can't see being any higher than three to one. You know, everybody's going to tab this horse as the speed of the speed, and, you know, rightly so. Um, There's just something about this horse that doesn't smell right to me. I don't know if it's the fact that, um, although setting quick fractions. She had the lead and gave it up late. Um, or the fact that everybody's going to be on this horse. I'm going to have to use her as an A just because going five furlongs, she's the, the fastest horse in the race. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. And then I'll use one B and that's the three dancing crane. Uh, two back, she was claimed uh, that race. There's a horse running today at Santa Anita, never for money who out of that 25 claimer win is jumping up to 40. So pay attention to that race today. If never for money runs well or wins that race for 40, I think that flatters the form of dancing crane. And I will definitely be made. I will definitely be upgrading her to an a, if never for money runs well or wins, just cross out that uh, cross out that try at golden gate in her last. I think she obviously prefers the turf. Uh, and so 
will sit a good trip, probably in the garden spot. So um, I'm going to use her as a B. So it's six, uh, four, six, nine as A's and three as a B. If I held your feet to the fire for a topic, would it be the six who you mentioned first or would you? Put no doubt. Down? Yep. Okay. yep. Six, four, nine on top with the the three runner as a backup. And today we're recording being Friday. Check those PPs. If you're listening Saturday morning, check those PPs and see how uh, that collateral form line worked out. Let's head back down south for race number nine. The, the last race at Santa Anita on the day features two-year-old Calbred made in special rates. And we're going a mile on the turf with a field of nine going postward. Who do you like in here? So the race goes through the nine, Luca Grazi. And uh, he faced open company last time and was off a little bit slow and made a nice big run. He finished his last quarter in 23 and one, which if he does again, he's going to win this race, maybe by open legs, because it's not the strongest cowbred made in special weight. Um, however, having to put all your eggs in the basket of a horse that is going to come from last or second last is a little precarious. So I'm going to also use, so I'm going to use the nine as an A. I'm also going to use the five, please focus as an A. I like that. O'Neill, there's no panicky drop here. The horse's dam uh, was a, a turf route winner. She's thrown three turf winners. This horse is going to be on a lone lead. I think that's the plan. Uh, if I'm guessing the other O'Neill horse, uh, the seven will probably stalk. So I think there's a scenario in which this five can get loose and wire them. And at 12 to one, I, I got to take a shot and, and use this horse as an A. And then I'm going to use Chicken Finger Friday, the other O'Neill horse, as a B. Interesting stat on O'Neill so far, Santa Anita. He's seven for 28 on the turf and one for 14 on the dirt. His turf runners are firing. And so I'm, I'm paying attention to anything that he sends out on the turf. So uh, one more thing about that last turf race for the seven on August 11th. The second place horse won two starts later at this level. The fifth place horse won at this level next out. And the seventh place horse won for a state bred maiden 50 on the dirt next out. So that so that uh, race, even though the speed figure looks a little slow, I think is better than the speed figure indicates. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to use that horse as a B. So for me, it's... Five seven as A's. We're gonna to try to beat the nine. As, sorry, uh, five nine as A's, and then seven as a B. Okay, makes sense to me. Let's head up north once again for the Payleg Golden Gates ninth race. Two year old maiden claimers at the twenty five thousand dollar level. Five and a half on the synth when it comes to this golden hour pick four. How are we gonna get paid? All right. So the six special moments is the. Favorite at nine to five, I'm imagining will be uh, quite a bit shorter. I'm thinking probably about even money. I would be totally against this horse if it wasn't for uh, his last start. He had a challenging trip. He broke it in a weird, awkward way and then had a sustained rush to get up in the second. And, you know, that takes a lot out of a horse. And he actually ran really well despite that 
um, that the early trouble. The horse that beat him, Mark's hip, is dropping, uh, dropped in to win from uh, 30, a maiden 32 at Del Mar. So I think the form is pretty strong. It's just, you know, these seconds start racking up and, and the beaten favorite is first two. He's not easy to trust. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm going to use him defensively as an A. If that, if that last race, if he didn't have such trouble in that last race, I think I wouldn't use him at all. But he did run pretty well. So I'm going to use him as an A. I'm also going to use the one running fire as an A. Um, his trainer is, is good in all the relevant categories. I, I love the fact that he works six furlongs longer than, than this race is carded on October 16th. His work tab is steady. And he projects to have a good trip if, if he breaks from the rail, which is which is always a little bit tricky. I, I like the one as an A also. And then I'm going to use the eight as a B. He was five to six wide around the turn. Uh, he doesn't have any speed, even though he put the blinkers on last time. He broke fine. He just doesn't have much speed. Um, in a world where they heated up early, I can see a scenario where where he can run them down. So I'm going to use him as a B. And then I'm going to use the five Murloc Bay as a B. Um, this is one of those, just call it thin slicing. I, you know, I'm, I'm reading through these and he just jumps out at me. It could be me just not getting enough sleep last night. But <laughs> I think that. You know, sometimes I just try to pay attention to my gut and my first inclinations when I when I look through a, a race for the first time. And that's what happened with the five. So um, I'm going to use him as a B, maybe a C type with all my A's, uh, just because if it does come in and you beat the morning line favorite, who's going to be even money, you know, that's that's really going to boost this this payout. So in race nine, I'm going to go one six as A's and five and eight as B's. I have no problem throwing in a horse like the way you describe Murloc Bay in a race where you don't particularly trust the favorite. So, I mean, I think it makes it makes good enough sense. I don't I can't really articulate um, too much about the uh, about the runner. But again, like sometimes it's OK to just have that horse that you throw in in the right combinations. I mean, when you look at how your A-line is pretty thin here. You've got one by three by two. So, you know, you're just, it's costing you so little. And in a race where you're not fully sold on your, your you know, top picks, I have no problem at all with that kind of move from a wagering construction perspective. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there's also a scenario where if you don't want to include this horse and this horse, the six horse as an A, you know, then you even shorten it even more. Um, knowing that you have you have a heavy favorite in the last at Santa Anita um, with a heavy favorite here. So, uh, you know, sometimes I'll even drop a favorite that I'm iffy on, you know, and, and try to play it for three or four dollars, you know, knowing that the, the, the you know, the horse in the last at Santa Anita, Luca Grazzi, it is going to be pretty strong. So, you know, that's a way to maximize your your ticket and your payout um with you know with a with a really really tight sequence and the other thing you can do of course with the golden hour bets is look to leverage the golden hour double which connects just those last two races with the the golden hour pick four and one way that i like to do that is to get particularly aggressive early on in the sequence knowing i can always come back and play 
doubles on whichever combinations I like. You can see the probables at that point. You can figure out where it looks like you're getting value and and dial into those opinions. So a lot of different ways you can approach these bets. And, and, you know, I think doing it in tandem makes sense. Is that something that's part of your arsenal as well in these golden hour bets? Yeah, that's a great point, Pete, actually. Um, You know, if if you're able to be paying attention to the early legs and being able to check um, you know, what the, what the probables and what the will pays will be. I think that um, leveraging your opinion, um, you know, in the, in a double, that's a $5 minimum is a, is a great way to either recoup or to double down on some Maximize. of your opinions. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't have to be a hedge. It could be, Hey, right. let's now really knock this out of the park. I mean, in truth, when you're seeing the ball well, when things are going well, that's when you're supposed to to be betting more. So, yeah, I lo- good points all around. Justin will be reading you as part of those plus notes, um, doing a great job with that in the moneypodcast.com slash plus, and look forward to also coming back and bothering you maybe to help us out with a little bit of Breeders' Cup coverage of your game. Oh, I, I love that, Pete. Good stuff. Justin, Christine, thank you so much for your time today. We'll be talking soon. All right, Pete. Thank you. Next up on the show, it's our JRA segment for the races happening in the USA Saturday night into Sunday morning. And to give us a little preview of what we can expect this weekend, we bring in our Japanese correspondent, Toshi Onikubo. Toshi, how are things? Uh, Everything good. Uh, So excited, Pete. How are you? Oh, things are excellent. Big run up to the Breeders' Cup here. And, you know, we got so much coverage happening. I know we will have some... Japanese participation. We got the news that uh, that Songline's injured and won't be competing. But uh, what what are you hearing about other runners who might be getting on the plane as far as the Breeders' Cup goes? Yeah, Pete. Uh, Chain of Love. Uh, the host will go to the Breeders' Cup sprint, dart sprint, I believe. Uh, she, you know, the host would have minimum chance, I'd say. But you know, as long as we have runner, you know, anything could happen. <laughs> I was thinking we get so much more participation this time around based on the success of last year, but I guess that's just not always the way things work out. But I'm I'm glad to know it's still on the radar for Japanese racing and, and maybe in future years we'll see some more participation. And does the West Coast also maybe make it a little bit easier than, than having to come inland to Keeneland? Could that be part of what we're seeing? Sure, sure. You know, in, indeed, Pete, you know, it's logistically a little bit difficult for Japanese horses to travel Keenland and West Coast is much easier for sure. And, you know, this time around Songline, there was, you know, the win, win and in days, you know, Yasudakinen yep. um, uh, to the Breeders' Cup mile. She was so, so keen and, you know, their connections said, you know, at very early stage, and we're going to the Breeders' Cup mile this autumn. But disappointingly and unfortunately, she got, you know, set back and she won't travel this time. But Pete, you know, listen, you know, even next year, already the title holder, the ARC runner and yep. classic winner, uh, he is going to the Breeders' Cup already, you know, their wow. connections mentioned that. So next year would be much more, could be much more exciting, I'd say. All right, we'll, we'll keep that in mind and we'll, we'll follow all the storylines. Let's talk about Saturday night, though. We've got classic action here um, on uh, the early hours in, in the U.S. Of, uh, of October 23rd. Tell us about the big race. So this weekend, we, we will have Kick Show. 
that's a Japanese scent leisure, the final leg of the Japanese Triple Crown Classic Race. And this year we don't have any of the you know classic winners likes of Derby or Satsuki Show, which is equivalent to 2000 guinea in Japan. And only two horses have been placed in group and race. So this year, open field and you know over 3000 meter, very interesting. So it's very difficult for us to pick a horse, but I believe, you know, the class, horse got class is Ask Victor Moore. You know, he has won the 2000 guineas trial race, prep race, and then fifth in the 2000 guinea, then Japanese derby, he finished third. Three months, three and a half months after, he came back last month as a prep race for this kicker show. He finished second with, you know, not 100% fitness. So his fitness improved and he got class. I think he's, uh, you know, wing shout. Ask Victor Moore. Ask Victor Moore sounds very interesting. It sounds like one of those years, and we're very familiar here. We're in our third and longest classic, the Belmont Stakes. You don't end up with a with the some years you don't have the Derby horse or the Preakness horse. But in some ways, maybe from a sporting point of view, not quite as exciting. But from a gambling point of view, they can be very, very exciting. It'll be very exciting for folks following you in if Ask Victor Moore can get the job done. What kind of price are we expecting from this runner? Uh. He would be, you know, one of, definitely one of the favorite, number one favorite, or perhaps second, and probably, you know, 3.0 or something like that. Gotcha. Decimal odds, 3.0, 2 to 1 in the in the fractional language that we're used to speaking in the USA. I know you had your eyes on another one, maybe a little bit of a longer price in this spot. What can you tell us about this running? Yeah, you know, number 11, Duradolis. Uh, actually, he, he's never run in group and race, but right three days, only, you know, five starts, three win, and placed in the group three, which is, you know, kind of classic trial, and, you know, never been unpraised. So he could be, for me, you know, praised bet, and he's currently, you know, 12 to... Uh, 11 to 1, 10 to 1, 11 to 1. So I think he could be a nice praise bet for me. I like the sound of that. Some, and maybe for exotics purposes, we can try to mix uh, Dora Doris in with a little bit of Ask Victor Moore. Big field here. It's going to be, uh, you know, if you can get involved in these exotics and connect, certainly some some excellent opportunities. Will you be attending the races live? What's your typical routine for a big uh, big race day like this? Uh, usually I do, but this weekend it's, you know, uh, west side of Japan, so I wouldn't attend. Uh, I definitely will be watching this, you know, such exciting race, you know, staying race, you know, the 3000 meter, you know, those races are always very interesting to watch. In terms of how you analyze a longer race like this, did, is it, do speed figures come to the fore? Do you do more work looking at pedigrees? Is it all about just current form how is it different when you're looking at a a, a 3000 meter race from uh you know say a typical mile yeah but very good question you know one, one factor would be pedigree as they you know most of them i mean i would say all of them have never run you know such a distance 3000 meter uh, you know as they are three years old so pedigree you know staying pedigree and their form of course but other factor would be you know track work it's really important in Japan, the, you know, week before and the Wednesday on that week's, the, you know, workout 
you know, before the race, you know, that tells you a lot uh, of their condition and their actually wellness and, you know, their passion to learn, you know, the horse want to learn, you know, keenly, but, you know, under the control, that's the best one, I'd say, always, I believe that. Yeah, I, it, it it definitely makes sense, and we, we see some commonality with that. Horses who have a pedigree to get them in the ballpark of going a certain distance, when they're working well, when you see them, them touting themselves in the morning leading up to a big race, it always gives you more confidence. Uh, generally speaking, I know uh, Deep Impact, who is the, the, the sire of your top choice, how do you feel about the Deep Impact offspring going this far? Is it a little bit out of their range, or is it the, the truly the farther the better for the Deep Impact babies? Uh, so you know, all, all depends. But Deep Impact, uh, you know, such a great horse, and his progeny usually has that's you know stamina and cardio. So I, I, I have any you know any concern. I don't have any concern to be honest. Ask Victor Moore and Dura Doris the ideas from Toshi for the JRA Big Race, the Grade One Group One on Saturday night into Sunday morning. We thank you, my friend, and we'll have you back on these airwaves soon. Thank you, Pete. Last but not least, and in the first time for a minute, we reconvene our Fixed Odds New Jersey panel. Actually, for the last time in a minute, at least when it comes to covering racing that's actually happening in New Jersey. First, we'll bring in the man that you know from InTheMoneyPodcast.com, where he does a fantastic job covering the Naira circuit and a lot of other things for us. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are you? Doing great, Pete. Riding high on uh, this Friday morning with a 2-0 Astro series lead, hopefully a couple of days away from from summarily dismissing the most entitled team and fan base in sports and ready to enjoy a good weekend of racing. Hey, you're not gonna get a fight from me as a Mets fan. So, you know, you're, you you can you can trash talk all you want. Um even you know, there's not I'll be honest with you, Nick, there's not that many teams I root for the Astros against, but we seem we seem to have found one of them. And hey, we, we may have found another one in the next round. We'll see what happens. Let's bring in. We'll we'll put a pin in the baseball chatter. We'll have to. We'll have to. Nick's uh, Houston sports uh, talk show. We'll have to wait for another uh, another day because we have Mercy to bring in a man who's been uh, sadly absent for a minute, but very happy to have him back from Betmakers, Dallas Baker. Dallas, what's been going on with you? G'day, Pete. G'day, Nick. Great to speak to you again. Yeah, just working the circuit around uh, various conferences and race meetings and all that sort of stuff around North America. It's been great. But um, I have very limited knowledge about Astro, about the Astros and baseball. But don't you have to win and then get through the stewards' decisions before you actually claim the victory too? To support the Astros, <laughs> it's usually the wise move. I'll let Nick speak. <laughs> I don't know much about it, but somebody was explaining it to me, so I'll leave it at this. So I don't offend. Uh, well, we've already offended half the population of the US, so I won't, I'll I'll try to stay out of offending the South as well too. <laughs> Dallas, oh, don't sell us short. I'm sure over time we've insulted everybody. That's pretty funny. Let, let's talk, Dallas, about what's going on generally. I think this is a good time for a little bit of an update about the progress of fixed odds betting in the United States in, in general and what we can expect with, you know, we've talked about it almost exclusively through the lens of live racing in New Jersey since we started these segments. With that uh, coming to a conclusion in short order, I'm curious what we can expect next. What will the next developments be? 
it's amazing, Pete. There it was, wasn't it? There's the first Monmouth season which we had fixed odds. Like it, it was funny, isn't it? In the lead up, it feels like it's taking. Well, it did feel like it was taking forever, and then you blink, and then the season's gone. So, yeah, it's look. It's been it's been it's been great to get it up and running this year. This was this was sort of almost uh, the the practice run for us in in reality, if that if that makes sense. So, you know, obviously it's uh, just been a, a nice, slow, gradual start at Monmouth Park. Uh, bringing it into the marketplace, going, you know, getting the hairs off it from all the uh, all the development work and all the things that need to go into creating a basically a brand new marketplace. And whilst you know fixed odds are something that we've done all around the world, every market has its own nuances, and probably the US has got more nuances with a lot of things like just simple things like coupled runners off the turf, all those sort of things that you need to um, when you when you're working out. Uh, to one, the business rules on one, how you want to deal with it, and then two, uh, then how you you program that into being an automated automated system that can be sent around the world. So, a lot of a lot has come out of the first year, uh, a lot of learnings from it. So, um, as as I said, we sort of treated this first this first season at Monmouth as you know getting a feel for it, getting you know getting all the uh, you know, um, yeah just just getting it right to be honest, and then so basically we'll get through this season, take a breath and then uh, and then start attacking it to really, really have it humming uh, for the start of next season, but gradually bringing in more content as we uh, go through the uh, the winter months. And as we all know, the, the content available in the winter months of, as far as US racing goes is a lot less than it is in summer, but um, we'll, we'll have some good tracks coming on board very soon from the US, but also a hell of a lot of international content that will start pumping through. Um, we've basically, that'll that'll line in with our our, our actual app being launched. Um, as, as we know, for people who have been listening to us, monmouthbets.com is up and running, but the actual native app um, is probably, you know, somewhere around about a month, six, six weeks away. We're sort of aiming by the end of the year or early next year to have that fully running and out to, into the public domain. And with that will come all of our extra, all the extra bells and whistles and everything else that's going to come with it. So, um, yeah, so it's Monmouth for the moment. Um, we'll uh, we'll keep everybody uh, um, keep everybody across as we develop as, as we bring in more tracks. But I think by the time um, early next year, you're going to see you know a, a good suite of tracks from all around the world being able to bet through the Monmouth Bets app or Monmouth Bets online, and also too at the same time you'll see um, you'll see the bookmakers coming online as well too. So. So there's a lot to happen. Um, in that time, we've actually, as a company, had a huge launch in Australia with the with the Better uh, website, which is a conglomeration of Matthew Tripp, Matt Davey, and of course uh, a very small organisation called News Limited or Fox or Rupert Murdoch, however you like to describe uh, that organisation over here, which has been a huge success in Australia. So there was a lot of hands on the tools doing that to get that up and running, as you could imagine, launching a Tier One bookmaker in Australia on Caulfield Cup Week. Not, obviously, there's not a lot of interest in that. But <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's uh, that's uh, with that with that now up and running, it's now full steam ahead to um, to uh, tidy up all the things that we need to for Monmouth Bets, get the app up and running and bring all that content in. So it should be a should be a pretty exciting time in the next uh, probably stay tuned. Keep an eye out in the next month or six weeks or thereabouts. You'll start seeing some stuff filter through. We'll keep you posted on it all over here at uh, in the money podcast.com in the money media through the podcast, etc. 
But racing in New Jersey, not quite done yet. We do have the six-race card at the Meadowlands on Saturday night. The weather looks good for it. We kick off with race number one at 7 o'clock for two-year-old New Jersey bread made in special weights. We're going five furlongs on the turf. Nick Tamaro, we bring you back in to get your thoughts on this one. It's a good, it's a good time here for our friend Fixed Odds to get the job done in uh, his now multiple career starts, fifth career start, second on the turf for Andrew Seamoff. Looks like the main speed on paper. I think he'll be pretty tough to handle. The alternative looks like the two. Violet Smile in light with Matty Rowland. We'll see how much the one jersey Greg takes to the lawn. Little turf pedigree for the Red Oak Stable homebred. What does this look like market-wise, Dallas? Yeah, pretty much in agreement with Nick, but uh, fixed odds, two to one favorite, $3 decimal. $3.50 second pick Jersey Greg, Greg or five to two and uh, Nick's second pick Violet Smile is four to one at the moment or $5 on the decimal language. Race number two, we've got $6,000 claimers, three and up a mile and a 16th and a field of 11 going postward. Let's keep you in the mix here, Dallas. Who did you make the favorite? Hector Diaz, who, I mean, it's only a small meeting, but looks like he's going to be the champion jockey at uh, Monmouth at Meadowlands and probably is, in my opinion, just to the eye, is in the top the top three best jockeys for the, the overall meet as well too. So congratulations to him if that's how it works out, but uh, and well-deserved too. Takafumi is the favourite, 5 to 2 $3.50, ahead of Kitten Street at 7 to 2 $4.50, and either a thin four to one or a fat seven to two, whatever way you want to look at it. Hieroglyphics down the bottom at four dollars and eighty cents. Nick, from a wagering point of view, what numbers are you going to be on your tickets in the back half of this early double? Yeah, the look of Takafumi really is not very appealing. Coming in off the voided claim, dropped from forty to ten. Did get the win, but obviously uh, didn't get the claim that day. Now in for just six. He's the one to beat on paper. I mean, if he runs anything close to his last. He'll be pretty tough. I thought the one Kitten Street was a little interesting, maybe trying to wire from the inside. His race was over when he checked last time, but he does have this, the draw, the rail draw and that early foot, which I think could provide a little bit of an advantage. I find myself still trying to figure out in the PPs how feisty Kitten beat me at 60 to 1 at Colonial back in August because he looks like he uh, he couldn't win a one-horse race right now. I, I think I'll, I'll avoid him, but I do have to take my old friend Bob in our midst who's dropping in class now, fourth time out for Jose Sanchez. And I think last time out at Parks just never picked it up on a turf course that really isn't for everybody. One, two, and eight. Is that how you see it? That is exactly it. All right. Let's move on to race number three. We've got these $25,000 maiden claiming Philly and Mares going a mile and a 16th. Another nice full field of 10. Nick, we'll keep it with you. You know, this I thought was a relatively competitive race and, you get maidens down at this level, it often is the case. The two afraid knots taking a big class drop for Derek Ryan draws well on the inside in light as well. Linear thinking is the horse to beat. His Her comeback race was not very good. Her debut was very good, but this is a horse who went from Chad Brown to Jorge Abreu, which generally in the Klarovich stable operation is major leagues to AAA. Uh, but she's also being spotted realistically from a class perspective. So unfortunately, I was pretty chalky here with those two favorites. Jannie May comes in off a good race at Aqueduct and figures to be a, a pace player as well. I do think continued improvement off that last performance makes her a threat. Two, four, and nine for Nick. How does this one look from a market perspective, Dallas? Yeah, pretty much. Sort of aligned with Nick going the other way. We've got linear thinking favorite at $2.80, so roughly seven to four. Uh, five to two, three dollars fifty for afraid not, and the couple between that and Nick's third pick, uh, which was Kazakan at four to one or five dollars, Eau Claire at uh, six to one or seven dollars, uh, and Nick's third pick, Janie May, is eight dollars or seven to one. 
The back half of this pick six kicks off in race four, $25,000 claimers, Phillies and mares three and up and a mile and a 16th on the turf. Uh, taking a look at the morning line here, uh, no prohibitive favorite on display. Uh, the morning line makes uh, seven to two princess pinky. The favorite, is that the favorite in your world as well, Dallas? Yeah, and, and a little bit, just a touch shorter than that, Peter, at about the three to one mark. So about pretty much in line with the uh, morning line there. Um, the next pick is a t- uh, again pretty pretty similar at nine to two. Summer at the Spa, number six, and yeah, and, and as you suggested, it's a pretty pretty tight market, but with White Lilacs, Speed Salsa, um, Diane's comment even up her sleeve and more mango all around about the seven or eight to one, nine to one mark. So it's a pretty condensed market there. Curious to get your opinion here, Nick. Are you with or against Princess Pinky? You know, based on her speed figures in her recent races against Tougher, she should be pretty tough to handle. One of the things that the uh, the New York horsemen have done effectively is use Meadowlands as a spot for some of their horses that really don't have a, a place class-wise across the river. And uh, I think that's the case with both Princess Pinky and Summer at the Spa, both from Michelle Nevin's barn. I do think Diane's comment's a little dangerous, obviously moving way up in class, but this is a horse who's really improved in her last two starts. She's gotten involved in in pretty quick early tempos and been able to withstand them to go the distance. So I, I did think there was a little bit of a look there. Also potentially with the 10 up her sleeve, second time for Jose Delgado off a good effort. Unfortunately, a poor outside draw, but that's another horse with some forward position. I do think when all said and done, Princess Pinky, a very likely winner, but I would be comfortable backing up with uh, her stable mate summer at the spa, as well as Diane's Comet and uh, up her sleeve. Two, six, seven, and 10 for Nick in race number four. We'll move on to race number five, $12,000 claimers, five furlongs on the turf. Good card. Big full field here once again. Nick, what numbers will be on your tickets? Yeah, Pace makes the race with Stanhope, I think. You know, he might meet some early challenges, but uh, Bonnie Lucas was smart in getting him to some easier races in New Jersey, and that led off with a win against the three life claimers three starts back. He ran a really game race last time out. That was a very strong early tempo. You might see the fractions and think it's moderate, but understand this turf course this time of year is often on the softer side. The problem is it's just really tough to back Bonnie with a lot of confidence on the turf. Just two for 50 uh, since she's taken out her license. The three grand Malbec is in many ways a very dangerous horse moving up in class for a good barn. My tie one on got the job done last time out. Now second off the layoff. He got a big pace to run at and just might get a decent enough setup to be dangerous once again. My top picks the seven Bam Bam Blue second off the layoff. Gets a little bit of class relief for Pat McBurney in a spot where I think he can be dangerous outside and will likely get the jump on a deep closer like my tie one on. So I'm going to go two, four, two, five, seven and back up with the three. Two five seven back up with the three. Always a, a sucker am I for the horse with the tiki theme name like my Taiwan on, but uh, a lot of different ways to go in there. Dallas, let's look at this one from a market perspective. Yeah, sort of bit of editorial license. It's probably our hot last high, wide, and handsome race for the for the <laughs> year, boys. Um, but yeah, only just though. It's uh, my Taiwan on is uh, three to one favorite, four dollars decimal, just ahead of the two stand hope at seven to two or four dollars fifty. Nine to two for Bam Bam Blue, five dollars fifty. And the one mentioned, Nick uh, mentioned Grand Melbeck. It's about an eight to one chance. Oh, sorry, a seven to one chance. Eight dollars decimal. Last Jersey race we'll talk about for twenty twenty two is race number six, Maiden Claimers, twenty five thousand dollars, five furlongs on the turf. Nick, how are we going to close out this season at Mammoth at the Meadowlands? 
quite a way to close it out, right, with some of the bread and butter types at the $25,000 level. The three chief engineers should be pretty tough back in for attack. Son of Midshipman has good speed and comes out of a maiden special weight effort that likely would win this if it's duplicated. I think that six Martinez is going to get a lot of money, but boy, those of us that are New York racing fans are awfully tired of this horse wherever he runs. I'm going to just use the three and the seven and try and end it that way. They look like they uh, they have the right kind of complementary running styles for this one. Never a bad idea looking for that best speed and the best closer. How are we going to talk about this one from a market point of view? Well, let's start with Martinez. So what, what did you do with him price-wise? Yeah, second pick, Pete, 7 to 2 $4.50. Pretty much as uh, as Nick said it, that was pretty much market order. Chief Engineer, $3.50, 5 to 2 Martinez is, or Martinez is $4.50, 7 to 2 And Sharp Sensation, $5.50, 9 to 2 That's pretty much the market. The only other ones that are sort of just under double figures are Arm Insider. Um, he, he's a review town and constitutional bid all, just a tick, tick under 10 to 1. Dallas, Nick, we're going to have you both on soon. Dallas, we'll get an update from you. We'll reconvene this panel, hopefully when that app goes live. And Nick, you're going to be an important part of our Breeders' Cup coverage, both uh, on the free side and also on the plus side. We will be talking soon. Definitely ready to rock and roll. Enjoyed it, guys. As always, great season. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks to everyone, Pete. Thanks to you and everyone in your organisation who's been a, a great support and, uh, you know, just taking the interest in fixed odds and taking in the, the interest in the racing industry and hopefully, you know, getting behind all the good things that can come for it. So thank you to you. Thanks, Nick. It's been awesome uh, stuff that, uh, that you've been providing us and uh, to everybody else out there who's, whether it's been positive criticism or negative criticism, which is just as good too. Thanks for all of it throughout the year and uh, look forward to continuing chatting as the uh, the Fix Odds revolution continues. That's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank all of today's guests, our founding partners, including 10 Strike Racing. Excited to see the return to the races of Looms Boldly. Not quite sure when that's happening, but it'll be soon. And also our founding partners over at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. We talked earlier in the show about the party. Friday night, a Breeders' Cup weekend. We hope you will join us there at the Griffin Gate Marriott for tickets. trfinc.org slash players. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you for listening, making these shows so much fun to do. Uh, watch the finale of Horse Player Happy Hour with us next week. Great chance to interact, and we're also going to be doing a Q&A show. If you've got Breeders' Cup questions, we want to be a resource for you. Keep the conversation going on Twitter, where you can find me at Looms Boldly, or you can also hit me up through the contact page over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos.